As the new Cold War that the United States is waging against China heats up, Washington's rhetoric is becoming increasingly aggressive. And the U.S. ambassador to China has referred to the Asian giant as a threat, a great challenge, and a very difficult government. And the U.S. ambassador to China, Nicholas Burns, he gave an angry lecture to China and in which he told the country, the United States is staying in this region. He was referring to Asia, the Indo-Pacific region. And then he said, he, and angrily, we're the leader in this region. That is that the U.S. is declaring that we are the leader of Asia. That the United States is staying in this region. We're, we're the leader in this region in many ways. Now, for people outside of the political bubble of Washington, it might sound genuinely crazy to hear the United States declare that it is the leader of the Indo-Pacific region, considering that the United States uh, is not even physically in the Indo-Pacific region. What are the countries in the Indo-Pacific region? China, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Philippines, Australia, Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, not the United States. Now, Australia is basically, you know, a U.S. colony. So maybe they forgot that Australia is an independent country on paper. But it's quite surreal to hear the U.S. government refer to Asia as its region that it dominates. But it wasn't just the Indo-Pacific that, that the U.S. ambassador to China, Nicholas Burns, claimed that Washington is the leader of. He also said that I feel optimistic about the American position in this country referring to China. He, so he's once again reaffirming that the United States sees itself as the leader of the entire world, including independent sovereign countries like China. We don't want conflict, but we're gonna hold our own out here. And I feel optimistic, I'm just concluding my first year as ambassador, about the American position <clears throat> in this country and in this region. I just want to highlight again what he said there. It's very strange. He said, I feel optimistic about the American position in this country, that is China, and in this region, the Indo-Pacific. Very bizarre. But in the description below, I have a link to an article over at geopoliticaleconomy.com. And I have a link to all of the sources that I'll be discussing today, including the original video in which the U.S. ambassador to China, Burns, made these very aggressive comments. He did so at an event on February 27th, titled American Leadership in an Age of Uncertainty. And this is a panel that was organized by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. This is the most powerful lobby organization in the United States. It's a corporate lobby. It represents the voices of large corporations in the United States. And this event shows how this, the Chamber of Commerce and the U.S. State Department have a completely incestuous relationship. They're basically the same. The State Department acts as the representative for U.S. corporations around the world. And as I'll highlight later in this analysis here, Ambassador Burns repeatedly said in this interview that he sees his top priority, his top goal, as representing U.S. corporations abroad. Before I get to that, I should point out that this event also featured the U.S. ambassador to Israel, Thomas Nides, and it featured 
Victoria Newland. Every time I say her name, there should be like a, you know. Victoria Newland is a hardline neoconservative who is the third in command of the US State Department. She's the US Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs. And she has been involved in numerous coups and regime change operations. She was one of the main people responsible for the 2014 coup in Ukraine, which overthrew the democratically elected government in Kiev that had been geopolitically neutral and tried to balance the West and Russia. And after the February 2014 coup and this leaked phone call in which Victoria Newland is speaking with the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, saying, deciding who the leaders of the new Ukrainian government will be, she says specifically Yats is the guy referring to Artsinyi Yatsenyuk, who is this right-wing politician. So uh, I don't think Cleet should go into the government. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's a good idea. I think Yats is the guy who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. He's, he's the guy, you know. After the coup, the Ukrainian government was led by the very same people that, that Victoria Nuland and the U.S. ambassador Jeffrey Piat mentioned. So, I mean, this is someone who is a notorious figure. And the fact that she was involved in this event as well, again, organized by the main corporate lobby group in the United States, shows that these coups and regime change operations are done in order to serve the interests of U.S. corporations. Now, one day after that U.S. Chamber of Commerce panel in which the U.S. ambassador to China made those ridiculously aggressive comments, a day later on February 28th, the U.S. Congress held its first special hearing on China, and they have a new committee, which is called the House of Representatives Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, it just shows this new Cold War McCarthyite kind of hooak hearing this was. And in this hearing, the chair of this new committee, who's a hardline Republican named Mike Gallagher, he said very clearly that the U.S. government is engaged in an existential struggle against China. So this, once again, should define the rhetoric, the tenor of the new Cold War. The U.S. government is saying we are at, in an existential struggle with China. This is what he said. As we investigate and expose the ideological, technological, economic, and military threat posed by the Chinese Communist Party, we may call this a strategic competition, but it's not a polite tennis match. This is an existential struggle over what life will look like in the 21st century. And the most fundamental freedoms are at stake. I'm actually working on making a video and a podcast specifically about that congressional hearing, just showing how unhinged it was, but that'll be for another episode. So now let's go back to the panel that was organized by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. In that event, the U.S. Ambassador Burns he said that China is going to be one of the great challenges going forward. He said it's a very difficult moment in the U.S.-China relationship. He referred to it as a difficult relationship, and he referred to the Chinese government as a, di a very difficult government. He kept using the word difficult, 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 which once again shows the increasingly aggressive rhetoric that Washington is taking. And this is obviously a very difficult moment in the U.S.-China relationship. Very difficult, 
government here in the People's Republic of China as we try to deal with uh, with this difficult relationship. The present relationship between us and China, which has been so difficult across the board. Then the U.S. Ambassador Burns, he, he praised the bipartisan support in Congress for the new Cold War on China. Of course, I should say that he claimed that the U.S. is not interested in a new Cold War. He said only that the U.S. wants to have aggressive competition with China. But we all know that the U.S. is actually waging a new Cold War and yet referring to it as competition. And in his remarks, Burns said that the U.S. is competing with China in four main areas, the military, the economy, technology, and human rights. I think that one of the great advantages we have right now in dealing with a very difficult uh, government here in the People's Republic of China in a competitive relationship is that we have large-scale bipartisan agreement that we ought to be competing with China uh, for a military power in the Indo-Pacific, competing in the, in the economic and trade sphere for a much more level playing field for American business, because it's not level right now. We're certainly competing on technology. And of course, we defend our, our values. We defend human rights. We take issue, great issue, with what the Chinese have done in Xinjiang and Tibet and Hong Kong, the lack of religious freedom here. And I think there's large scale agreement, frankly, uh, in our country and also uh, between Republicans and Democrats in Congress that we've got to be competing in those four areas. Note there how the U.S. ambassador praised both the Republican and Democratic parties for joining in this bipartisan new Cold War. This is a point that he repeated multiple times in the interview, talking about the bipartisan support to compete with the Chinese. I knew that we had bipartisan support in the Congress between Republicans and Democrats for a really robust American policy to defend our interests out here in the Indo-Pacific to compete with the Chinese. Now, Burns made a lot of ridiculous comments in this interview, but one of the most absurd is when he talked about the so-called balloon incident. And by that, he means that in early February, a Chinese balloon went over U.S. territory and the U.S. military shot it down. Now, as I explained in a separate video and podcast, which I will link to in the description below, U.S. government experts have admitted that it was likely that that, that Chinese balloon only accidentally entered U.S. territory, at least the airspace, and it was blown off course by unexpected weather. So, of course, the U.S. Ambassador Burns did not mention that conveniently. But what he also didn't mention is that a few days after blowing up this Chinese balloon, the U.S. Air Force shot down three more balloons, and among them was a $12 hobbyist balloon that a bunch of kids in Illinois from a, a, a balloon club had up in the sky. And the U.S. military used spent $2 million using fighter jets and two missiles, each of which cost over $400,000. $2 million spent by the military to shut down a $12 hobbyist balloon and yet, of course, the U.S. Ambassador Burns did not mention any of that. Instead, he referred to the balloon incident as a threat. But that became impossible after the balloon incident, which was an outright violation of the sovereignty and territorial integrity of the United States. President Biden was absolutely correct in ordering the shoot down of that balloon. And continuing, the U.S. Ambassador also emphasized that 
technology is going to be a main area of so-called competition. Of course, the US government has imposed aggressive sanctions on China, trying to sabotage China's tech sector. And he said that Chinese companies could threaten US national security. I think technology is going to remain a contested area. And of course, there are real limits in law about Chinese ability, Chinese companies to invest in companies in the United States and technology areas that we deem to be important for our national security. In his interview, Burns also gloated. He said that China sees the US as a declining power and the West in general as a declining power. But he says that no, the US is stronger than ever. That the Chinese believe, the Chinese leadership, that the East is rising and that the West, particularly the United States, was declining. I think two years into this administration and on a bipartisan basis, I can say the United States is a strengthened position in the Indo-Pacific. And now the United States and NATO and the United States and, Euro and the European Union are beginning to see the threat from China and the competition from China in the same way. And while Burns was referring to China as a so-called threat and a di very difficult government, he was reasserting U.S. military support for separatists in Taiwan. And he said that we have to continue giving more military support to Taiwan. And at one point, he accidentally referred to Taiwan as a so-called country before he corrected himself, which once again shows that the U.S. is supporting separatists. They want Taiwan to be a separate country. And specifically, they want Taiwan to be a U.S. colony and, and to host a U.S. military base with nuclear weapons, which is what the U.S. had in Taiwan during the first Cold War for decades up until the 1970s when the U.S. normalized relations with the People's Republic of China. And in order to do so, the U.S. signed three communiques with Beijing in which the U.S. technically on paper recognized that Taiwan is part of the People's Republic of China. But we can see from these comments that the U.S. ambassador doesn't actually believe that. It is our obligation, obviously, to maintain our own military strength uh, in and around Taiwan in this part of the world to make sure that the Taiwan authorities have the ability to deter uh, any kind of Chinese offensive action uh, now or in the future. And of course, we want to live in a world where big countries can't push small countries around or small, in this case, not a country, but the Taiwan authorities. Now, as an example of Burns's very aggressive rhetoric, in February, the Chinese Foreign Ministry published a report that's titled U.S. Hegemony and Its Perils. And I have a separate video and podcast about that. I will link to it in the description below. And in response to it, Burns referred to it as crude propaganda. And he said, this is unworthy of a great power. Now, if you read it, Everything China says in that is objectively true. It's not crude propaganda. It's facts. But Washington doesn't like being called out for its war crimes, like the fact that it has killed hundreds of thousands of civilians just since 9-11 in its wars of aggression, or created tens of millions of refugees, or injured millions of civilians, or the fact that the U.S. government has 800 foreign military bases, more than any country in human history, or the, the fact that the U.S. government has carried out more than 400 foreign military interventions. So he was very angry about China admitting those facts. Now, I mentioned toward the beginning that this event held by the Chamber of Commerce showed how U.S. corporations and the State Department have a completely incestuous relationship. I mean, they're 
joined at the hip, basically. And this was confirmed by other comments made on this panel. It was uh, moderated by the Chamber of Commerce's executive vice president and head of international affairs, Myron Brilliant. Yes, his last name actually is Brilliant. Anyway, in he, he began in this panel, he began by quoting former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, who referred to the United States as the indispensable nation. I want to start with a friend and reflect on the role of Secretary Albright, who said last year, who we lost last year, who said last year, we have to use force. It is because we are America. We are the indispensable nation. We stand tall. We see the world for what it is. We're going to pose the question today. Is America still the indispensable nation? Do we have the tools we need to project our leadership time of economic and geopolitical uncertainty? Of course, all of the U.S. diplomats on this panel did insist that, yes, the U.S. is still the world's so-called indispensable nation, which once again, it just reflects this imperialist ideology in which U.S. politicians see the United States as the only real power in the world and everyone else should be their slaves. Now, as U.S. ambassador to China, Nicholas Burns job is basically all about serving the interests of U.S. corporations so they can exploit Chinese labor. And in June, he participated in another event that was organized by the American Chamber of Commerce in China, which is called AmCham. And he said, quote, supporting U.S. businesses here in China is one of my top priorities. I would cut out one of it is his top priority. And he constantly meets with the American Chamber of Commerce in China constantly. In May of 2022, he posted another uh, photo on Twitter showing him meeting with representatives of U.S. corporations. And he said that he complained. He said U.S. corporations want to compete on a more level playing field, criticizing China for having too much state intervention in the economy with this very neoliberal rhetoric. In another meeting with the American Chamber of Commerce in Ch China, a month before in April, he said, quote, I strongly support American businesses. So once again, this is the real job of U.S. ambassadors. It's to act as representatives of U.S. corporations to help them exploit labor and natural resources of foreign countries. Now, this very neoliberal rhetoric that we heard from Burns was echoed by U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, his boss at the State Department, in a, a historic speech that Blinken gave in May 2022, in which the U.S. basically announced a new containment policy toward China. Blinken said that the U.S. goal is to, quote, shape the strategic environment around Beijing. We cannot rely on Beijing to change its trajectory. So we will shape the strategic environment around Beijing to advance our vision for an open, inclusive international system. And Blinken made it clear that Washington's main criticism of Beijing is that China intervenes in the economy. It's a socialist government, and they complain that that, that violates the so-called rules-based order in which the U.S. and U.S. corporations make the rules, right, and order everyone around. And specifically, Blinken complained. He said, we will push back on market-distorting policies and practices like subsidies and market access barriers. So 
He's saying that, that China should be more, it should be neoliberal and allow the free market and the invisible hand to take control of everything. And he complained that Chinese companies don't need to make a profit. They just get another injection of state-owned bank credit. So these are the very neoliberal comments that the top U.S. diplomat made. We will push back on market-distorting policies and practices like subsidies and market access barriers, which China's government has used for years to gain competitive advantage. Unlike U.S. companies and other market-oriented firms, Chinese companies don't need to make a profit. They just get another injection of state-owned bank credit when funds are running low. Now, going back to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce event that was held on February 27th, the U.S. Uh, the, the vice president of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the strangely named Myron Brilliant, he also used the same neoliberal rhetoric and he complained about China's emphasis on state-owned enterprises and the regulatory behavior of the government. We have real concerns about China's record. We have concerns about its emphasis on uh, state-owned enterprises and the regulatory behavior of the government. So again, I repeat, I want to emphasize the biggest problem that the U.S. has with China is its socialist model and its refusal to allow U.S. corporations to take over its country, which is, of course, what the U.S. government's goal is, to serve the interests of large corporations, which control the government, which buy the politicians through legal bribery known as lobbying. And the Chamber of Commerce, being the biggest lobby group, is an example of how the U.S. is the best democracy you can buy. It's not actually democracy. It's, a, it's an oligarchy in which large corporations control everything. And we can hear this directly in the rhetoric from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the State Department in this joint event they did together. In referring to the new Cold War on China and Russia, the Chamber of Commerce Vice President Brilliant, not so brilliant, Myron Brilliant, said that the role of the private sector has never been more important in working with our government. And he said his life goal is to work with, to, to work with the private sector and ensure close cooperation with the government. I think the private sector role in this has never been more important in working with our government, and we continue to do that from my commitment to work with the private sector and ensure that we continue to see that close cooperation between the public and private sector. Now, also on this panel with the U.S. ambassador to China, Burns, there is the U.S. ambassador to Israel. His name is Thomas Nides. And in that event, he also showed just how incestuous the relationship is between the Chamber of Commerce and the State Department, between U.S. corporations and the U.S. government. And he, he just praised the this guy, Brilliant, the vice president of the Chamber of Commerce. And he said, we're good pals. We spent a lot of time working together and, and we're good friends. We've had a lot of fun, enjoyable trips together. And then he referred to the game. He said, you represent what's great about getting in the game. You, know, you and I are good pals. We've spent a lot of time talking about things, but I'm honored to be uh, your friend. I'm honored that I get to you. Listen, man, you and I have known each other for a long time. We've had lots of fun, enjoyable trips together, a lot of activity. The idea, you represent what's great about getting in the game. Now, those comments are very strange, especially coming from a U.S. ambassador. But then he actually, he said clearly, what is the game? He, he came out and said it. He said, the game is the relationship between the business community and government. What he means is it's, it's corruption. He's, he's acknowledging the fact that it's very common for U.S. diplomats 
to leave the State Department, or by the way, people from the Pentagon, the military, they leave the US government, and then they, they join corporations. They join the board of directors of, of, of corporations. As an example, the current defense secretary, the top Pentagon official, Lloyd Austin, was on the board of directors of Raytheon, one of the most powerful weapons corporations in the world. And this is very common. And the U.S. ambassador to Israel, Nides, he said all three of us have gotten into the game at different points. That is that they've all worked with private corporations, leveraging the, the knowledge they have from inside the government to work with corporations so they can lobby the government and get contracts. I mean, this is the systematic corruption, the rot that is at the heart of the U.S. political and economic system, which is just it's a corporate oligarchy in which big corporations control everything, including the government. As the three of us have gotten in the game at different points, you've been in the game at a really important time, which is the, the relationship between the business community and government is critical. None of us should forget that. I've had the honor to be in business. I've had the honor to be on the government. The reality is uh, business and government need to work together. They need to have common agenda. I, I hear, I just want to underscore what the U.S. ambassador to Israel said there. He said, the reality is that business and government need to work together. They need to have common agendas. And, but the thing is, what should the agenda be? The agenda should be set by the government to act on behalf of what's best for the people. But he doesn't mean that. He means the government should act on what's best for the corporations. The agenda is set by the corporations, not by the people. Now, I'm not going to spend too much more time going through this, but Victoria Nuland, the hardline neoconservative hawk from the State Department, she also participated in this event at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And in her comments, she said that we are in the post-post-Cold War period. She said, we're now at the end of the post-Cold War period. So I take this meaning that this is her acknowledging that we're in a new Cold War. Look, I think, um, you know, obviously we are now at the end of the post-Cold War period. We're in the post-post-Cold War period. So to me, unfortunately, it feels uh, a lot like it did at the beginning of my career that we have uh, large powers contesting the rules of the road that favor freedom. Now, note how Victoria Nuland said that she feels now in her diplomatic career like she did at the beginning of her career, which is at, toward the end of the first Cold War. So that's her acknowledging that we're in a new Cold War. The U.S. government is doing this propaganda saying that it's only in competition, but everyone knows around the world that the U.S. is waging a new Cold War. And Victoria Nuland emphasized that, that U.S. leadership is even more essential in this new Cold War. And therefore, U.S. leadership, which has always been essential, is even more essential. Now, in this event, Victoria Nuland actually didn't speak very much. And it was clear that she was busy with something. And she left the event early and she explained why. It's because she had to go meet with Canadian politicians, Canadian diplomats, in order to discuss another problem she referred to as a problem, Haiti. And that's very revealing because Victoria Nuland is part of these Western war hawks who are advocating for a new Western military occupation of Haiti. And in fact, the Canadian government has already deployed military planes and ships to Haiti 
and, and the U.S. has imposed sanctions on Haiti. They're all threatening Haiti, and they want to have a new military occupation of the Caribbean nation like they did before. But I got to run off and see Canadians and work on a, another hot problem, which is, which is Haiti. The fact that coup expert Victoria Newland is discussing Haiti, it should be very concerning to us, and we should keep our eye on what's developing there. Now, before I conclude, I just want to highlight some of the comments made by the U.S. Ambassador to Israel, Thomas Nides. He insisted that there is a so-called axis, like George Bush said, the axis of evil. He said that there is a dangerous so-called axis between Iran, Russia, and China, and he fear-mongered about that. It's dangerous, and it's complicated, and I think the reality of this is that it should be a wake-up call to everyone in the region when uh, Iran is producing and, and sending uh, drone technology to the Russians that have now been used against the Ukrainian people. So if you think there's not an axis here between Iran uh, and Russia, and God, hopefully not uh, China, uh, it should be a wake-up call to all of us. Now, of course, most of Nide's comments were demonizing Iran, but the, the host from the Chamber of Commerce asked about the situation in Israel, he obliquely referenced the fact, he didn't mention it directly, but Israel right now has a completely fascist government. It is the most far-right extremist government it has ever had. I mean, it's always had racist far-right governments, but right now it has literal fascists in the government who support ethnic cleansing. And I mean, it just, it's blatantly as far-right as it gets. And in response to that, the U.S. ambassador to Israel insisted that we have an unbreakable bond and we will always strongly support Israel regardless of who's in power. So this is him saying it doesn't matter how fascist the Israeli regime is. We will always support it. And he emphasized it is always bipartisan. He emphasized how important it is that, that it's bipartisan support. We have an unbreakable bond with the state of Israel, regardless of who the prime minister is, regardless of the situation on the ground. And that is not going to change. Naid said that the U.S. and Israel are working day and night to make sure Iran does not obtain a nuclear weapon, fear-mongering about Tehran. And finally, he was asked about the protests in Iran, which the U.S. government has been very clearly supporting, to try to have a so-called color revolution or regime change operation to overthrow Iran's independent nationalist government. And he made a very revealing Freudian slip here. He said... We don't support regime change, I guess, publicly anyway. So the U.S. ambassador to Israel saying, yeah, on paper, we all have to claim that we don't support e regime change in Iran publicly. But we all know, everyone knows that the U.S. is supporting regime change. 30 seconds on what we can do to support the reform movement there. Is there anything that we're not doing that we might step up to encourage some of the reform efforts underway that, you know, Need, I mean, I, I need look, outside uh, external pressure. Yeah, I mean, listen, we we don't, you know, obviously we don't support um, regime change, I guess, publicly anyway. So those are the main points to take away from this event that was held by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, featuring top officials from the U.S. State Department. It shows the incestuous relationship between the corporate world and the U.S. government and how they the U.S. government exists to serve corporate interests. And it also highlighted the very aggressive policies that the U.S. government is taking toward China in this new Cold War. And also the arrogance, the blatant arrogance 
of U.S. politicians who dare to lecture China on their region. China is in Asia. China is in the Indo-Pacific. China is the most populous country on Earth with 1.4 billion people. The United States, with 300 million people, thinks that it can lecture China and can tell China, we are the leader of Asia. We are the leader of the Indo-Pacific. We are the leader of the entire world. That's the U.S. imperialist ideology. With that said, I'm going to conclude here. I am Ben Norton. This is Geopolitical Economy Report. If you like the work that we do here, please consider supporting us. You can go to geopoliticaleconomy.com support, or you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash geopoliticaleconomy. Any support that you can provide goes a long way. We're completely independent. And I want to thank everyone for watching or listening. I'll be back soon. See you next time.